I didn't see the hands of who hasn't seen Collateral Murder yet. Who hasn't seen that? Okay. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to basically tell the story of you know, what happened that day. Um, we were uh, in Kamalaya, Iraq. Um, we were tasked out that morning to do knock and searches. Um, the Apaches were uh, providing overwatch for us. Um, we had a small firefight, um, probably about four to five blocks away from uh, where this incident took place. Um, uh, we heard the Apaches open fire, and, and what you have to understand is the Apaches, they don't shoot just like little, little rounds. They shoot 30 millimeter rounds, which are about that big. Um, I didn't know what was going on at the time. I was just told to move to that position. Um, I was on foot and when it's one of the first six guys to run up onto the scene and what I saw was um, a, a group of men on the corner um, who had been completely obliterated. Um, these rounds explode when they hit and um, to me at, at, the, at the time they didn't look human. Um, they, uh, they looked like something you would actually see out of, a, out of a bad horror movie like oh this can't be real. I don't know if I thought that you know maybe my my emotions were kind of shutting everything down and saying okay this can't be real um, but uh, one of the first things I remember hearing was a little girl crying and uh, I, I knew that the cry was coming from the van that was there and uh, I ran up to the passenger side door with one of the privates who was with me and um, we looked inside the van and uh, the the private that I was with uh, started vomiting and ran away because he couldn't bear to look at the children the way they were. Um, what I saw was a little girl, she was probably about four years old, sitting on the bench seat um, with a severe belly wound and glass in her hair and in her eyes. She couldn't blink or close her eyes and she was, she was crying like, um, it wasn't a pain cry, it was a cry that um, me having children, knowing that my daughter was the same age as this little girl. Um, waking up from a horrible nightmare in the middle of the night and uh, just it was it was almost blood-curdling um, next to her uh, in the middle of the the bench seat half on the floorboard with his head resting on the bench seat was a boy about seven years old I, uh, I immediately thought he was dead because he had a severe wound to the right side of his head um, and in the driver's seat was who I assumed was the father, the way he was hunched over them in a protective manner. Um, and he was completely destroyed. There was no way that he had survived. Um, I grabbed the little girl out of the van, um, yelled for a medic, and we took her to the house that was directly behind the vehicle, um, where I took off my gloves, um, got water, and uh, rinsed the wounds, checked for any exit wounds, other, other wounds that she might have had, and um, was picking glass out of her eyes with my hands. Um, so that she can blink. Um, that's when in the video you can hear the medic say that there's nothing else we can do here, she needs to be evac'd. Um, I, he takes the little girl and he runs her to the Bradley. I go back outside um, to the van and uh, you know I don't know actually why I went to the van. Um, I thought that the boy was dead and the father was dead but when I went back out there uh, the boy took a labored breath and uh, that's when I started screaming out that the boy's alive, the boy's alive. And uh, I picked him up in my arms and 
um, started running towards the Bradley with him um, the whole time telling him, you know, it's going to be okay, don't die, don't die. And uh, at this point, he, he looked up at me his, uh, just for a split second, then his eyes rolled back into his head. And uh, at, that, at that moment, I thought he had died in my arms. But uh, I got him to the Bradley, and when I took him to the Bradley, uh, my commanding officer, or my platoon leader was there, and uh, he told me that I needed to quit worrying about these uh, MF and kids and to go pull security. Um, at the time, the only thing I could think of was, you know, roger that, and, and I went to pull security. Um, while sitting on the rooftop, uh, I could hear them firing the Hellfire missiles into houses. Um, I saw the pictures of um, the families that were in these buildings. Um, there were no armed men in these buildings. They were just families, uh, women, children um, who were killed. Uh, I got um, back to the FOB later that day, and I remember thinking to myself, I was like, there's no way that we did that. You know, it had to have been the men on the corner. There was one guy who had an RPG and one guy who had an AK-47. And, uh, you know, from being over there, you're like, okay, well, these guys are obviously insurgents if they have weapons, um, not knowing that these other men were cameramen. And, and what frequently happens in Iraq is if there's a person with a camera, people will come out of their homes and say, hey, look at me, this is what I have, put me on TV, put me on the news, um, make me famous, now pay me for my picture. Um, there was no RPG rounds in the RPG. Um, so that, to me, my reaction is that I don't think that they were armed to fight us. They were just showing off for the, the cameramen that were there. Um, but later on that night in the fob while I was washing the blood of the children off of me, um, I couldn't really cope with it. I, I was having a hard time dealing with the fact that we did that, the Apaches did that. Um, so I, I went to my staff sergeant who was in my line, um, in my chain of command, and I told him, I, I think I need to see mental health. I need to go talk to somebody because I'm having a hard time dealing with uh, what I had just seen, what I had witnessed, what I was a part of. And he laughed at me and uh, told me to get the sand out of my vagina and to quit being a pussy and to suck it up and to be a soldier. And uh, so, you know, you, you kind of like, okay, well, there's nothing else I can do. So you just kind of do, you kind of suck it up, you push everything down, you bottle it up. But that anger and that rage sits inside you and it gets to the point where it just bubbles over and uh, you get so angry that you start yelling at people who don't deserve it, family members, um, your privates, um, soldiers who are, who are your brothers. And uh, you know, that was just one incident. And I've been saying this for a long time, that was one incident of many that you guys got to see. Um, Things like this happened almost on a daily basis in Iraq. It may not have been an Apache, it could have been a Bradley. I saw a Bradley fire on a, on a, a van load of children, nothing more than children, and watched the Iraqi police pull bodies out, um, pieces of children, and the whole time they're looking at us shaking their heads. And uh, you know, it's, it's again, that was, <laughs> that was one incident, but 
you guys can see from that one incident that we shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. That we're over there and we're killing innocent people. These are people who are only trying to live their mm -hmm. lives and the best that they can during an occupation. Um, I got out of the army in 2009. I was uh, blown up in Iraq in November of 2007. I came home. Um, my spine was broken. I had metal rods and pins in my back. Um, the army kicked me out on a chapter 517, which states that everything that I had, my traumatic brain injury, my PTSD, and my uh, my broken spine uh, were all pre-existing conditions before I joined the military. Um, so I got no benefits from the army uh, whatsoever. And, and I'm not the only one. This has happened to over 250,000 soldiers coming home from, from war. They're saying that, oh, they obviously had this PTSD long before they joined the army. Um, and, you know, it's not only are the people of Iraq and Afghanistan the victims, but soldiers are the victims themselves. They are being victimized every day, whether they have post-traumatic <clears throat> stress disorder or traumatic brain injury or military sexual trauma, they're being placed right back into the same traumas that, that got them that to begin with. They're four or five deployments. Um, you know, soldiers are just as much the victims, and and once once I realized that I was being victimized from the military, and that they were using me, using what I grew up very conservative. I grew up thinking, you know, it's my it's my duty to serve the mil in the military. Um, when nine eleven happened, I ran out and I joined the military. I, I have to go serve. I have to go fight the Muslims who 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 uh, attacked uh, mm -hmm. us on nine eleven. And what I found strange is when I got to Iraq, is I felt that I had more in common with the people over there than I did with the people who sent me to war to begin with. Mm -hmm. And uh, so. That day especially, the collateral murder video, um, I could no longer justify why I was in Iraq, what we were doing in Iraq. Um, I was just watching innocent men, women, and children being slaughtered. Um, there were no so-called insurgents. We would drive around waiting to start something. So, um, 